You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. I'm just honored to be able to open up this series today and on praying for the church. So Acts chapter 2, if you would. We're going to be there. Uh, in, on the screen, in your Bibles, on your apps, whatever. I, I love it to hear pages turn still. I'm, some, I'm somewhat, that inspires me to hear a few rattling pages in church or at least uh, a, a few uh, pads and phones and whatever you've got to look at the Word of God along with the help that we have on the screen. You know, every person in this room has a family. Amen? I'm grateful for my family. I was gone this week at a basketball tournament, and I got back on Saturday. Man, I was so happy to see my family. Seriously. I mean, I, I texted my wife this morning when I got to work. I said, I'm so glad, honey. I was in my own bed with my wife, and my family was at home. We ate together. We had a good time. And it was just awesome to be back home with family. So my family kind of looks like right now, my wife and I, we've got three of our children that still live in our home. But you know, some today, your family might be a, a single-parent mom. That's the way I was raised. Uh, maybe you've got a, a son and a, a daughter. Or maybe grandma lives with you like they did. My, my grandma lived with us. And that was our family. We loved it. It was awesome. It was was what we called family, and there's no place like home. We've talked about that recently. And maybe your family is a dorm room with a bunch of guys that live 500 miles away from home, but hey, it's your family on college campus, right? I mean, family can look differently in different ways in different times, but here's the truth. God has a family too. God Almighty has a family. He is the Father. We are the children And the family of God is complex, and it's very diverse. Scott mentioned the diversity of our family. It includes people all over the world, from a little girl in the streets of Brazil who is a follower of Jesus Christ, to an investor on Wall Street, to every country on the face of the planet, to every uh, town uh, in every state in the United States of America. We are in every color, on every people, uh, 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 on every place on the planet. We are the church, and it's very diverse and different economic levels. Here's what I'm trying to say. God has a big family, and everyone is invited to be a part of the family. Not everyone will say yes, but everyone's invited, and I'm grateful to be in God's family. So this morning, I want to begin looking at Acts chapter 2. I want to look at the early church and the characteristics of God's family Through a passage in Acts chapter 2, we're going to be here for the next four weeks in Acts 2, and we're going to be looking at this passage, and I want you to take it much farther than we can in 35 or 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. I want you to consider studying this this chapter and these passages for yourself. There's so much. It's a very exciting passage. In fact, it's so fitting that we sang the song, uh, King of Kings, and when we climb, that song starts to climax. Don't you love it when it gets to that part about it? The church of Christ was born and the Spirit lit the flame. Oh, and this gospel truth of old. And, and we begin to sing and our voices begin to... And you can sense the energy in the building because we're talking about the church. God's plan. God's plan to, to, to redeem his people through a, a group of people that he calls the church. And so I want to give you three introductory thoughts. God's family is called the church. And the church is a Greek word that is called ekklesia. That's the word. It simply means God called out ones. These are the called out ones. These are those that have been called out of the world and into the family of God. You know, years ago, we used to sing a song in our church. It's just an old chorus. 
uh, that we used to sing called, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain. I've been cleansed by the blood. I'm joint heirs with Jesus as we tarry this side. I am part of the family, the family of God. It's a great song. I love it. And uh, we don't sing it as much anymore, but it's, it's part of the history of our church. And, and a lot of it had to do with just fellowshipping, shaking hands during that time. Joy, and, you know, I know things have changed, times have changed, and there's things that have kind of gotten crazy in our world today. But I want to tell you, I still enjoy coming to church and shaking a hand and saying hello and every now and then get a hug from somebody who's comfortable with it. Amen. I just did love the church. I enjoy the family of God. The church is the local gathering of believers. That's the first thing the church is. In fact, we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, it's described to Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, specifically speaking of one church in Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians. You might say this morning, to make it applicable, the church of the gospeliters, right? That's who we are. We're, we're, we're a local gathering of believers here on 600 Garland Street, and we can scripturally call ourselves the church this morning. But secondly, it's a whole group of churches in an area. Scott alluded to the fact that there are other gospel-preaching churches in this area. In fact, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, it speaks to that as saying this, now to the, concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia. Speaking of a whole group of churches in one area. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, that even more specifically says, the churches of Asia. And we're grateful today that we are partnering with churches all over our community. You know, there was a time when I don't think we as a church, and many other churches would say that it's not just gospel light, but many other churches would attest to the fact that there were, this community was very segregated and, seg- you know, uh, segmented and, and, and isolated as churches kind of, you know, by themselves. But when the church came together in this area, when we came together, having minor differences in certain areas, but truthfully all agreeing that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, things began to change in our city. And so the church is a group of churches in an area. And then thirdly, the universal church. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, speaking of Jesus, that he is the head of the body, get this, the church. He's the head. This speaks of all believers from everywhere who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Amen? So in other words, the church is not a gathering of people who have put their faith or belief in Buddha or Krishna or Muhammad, or the church is not a gathering of people who are trusting their works to get them to heaven. That is not the church. The church is only those who have put their faith in Jesus. They've anchored into Jesus. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the life. He is who we put our faith in. So all believers from everywhere, followers of Jesus Christ, are part of what the Bible calls the church. Now, there are many metaphors used in Scripture for the church. Let me give you a few of those. First of all, the church is uh, described as a body, a body, right? So, so different, there's different, just like there's different parts of the body, but all of them come together to make up Eric Capaci. I've got, a, I've got eyes, and I've got a hand, and I've got an arm. All of them uh, serve a different purpose, but they're all needed for my body to work correctly, such as the church. The church is referred to as a body. Everybody here is a part of the body. Here, called gospel light. You're needed. Your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your personality. 
Some are, are more, you know, going to be more energetic than others, but we need both. We need, we need every economic status. We need every, everybody in this church has a role in this church. You're part of the body, and that's why the church is described with the metaphor using the body. The church is also described as a building, being built for him. That's what we are. We are being built up for Jesus. And then the church is described as a flock. You've heard this one, right? We are the sheep, and sheep need what? They need a shepherd. And so we are described as a flock, being the sheep and having a chief shepherd. The church is also described as branches, branches that are connected. I am the vine, Jesus said. I'm the vine. You are the branches. And so when a branch gets disconnected from the vine, it's only what? Just stick. It has no life. But when a branch is connected to the vine, it has life. And that's the only way we can function is being connected to the vine, which is Jesus Christ. The church is also described as a bride. We are the bride. Christ is the groom. And so he is, he is, we are preparing ourselves for the groom who's coming. He's coming back for his bride. And so we are the bride. And the church is also described as a family. That's our focus this morning. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 15, from whom every family, every family in heaven, every family on earth is named the family of God. It's, 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 it's an incredible thing. Number three, just an introductory thought, and I move on to my main thought. Thirdly, the church is a powerful tool in the Father's hand. Actually, my second thought here, <laughs> introductory thought. The church is a power. You know, we've talked a lot about prayer, right? And I love prayer, and prayer is important, and we're emphasizing prayer. But can I say coming alongside prayer, listen to this, is the church. It's a powerful tool in the hands of the Father. The church began at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 120 people in an upper room. Get this. this we owe a lot to those 120 that started this, this church. That 120 people met in that upper room. They waited on the Holy Spirit to come. When the Holy Spirit came, the power of God came with it and filled those 120 believers. And guess what they did from there? They busted out of that room. I mean, the Holy Spirit lit a flame, lit a fire. They went spreading the gospel throughout community after community. And then those spread the gospel, and then those spread it more. And then 100 years later, they were still spreading it. And 2,000 years later, here we are, gathering as a church. Because the church is a powerful tool in the Father's hand. I love the local church. And the purpose of the church is the same purpose it was back then, to send folks out. That's why here in a few months we're sending a group of people out of gospel light to go to the Dominican Republic to, go along, to come alongside another group of believers in another country to help establish another church and build up believers there and teach them things that we've learned here. This is the church. It's God's plan. It is the church. It's a powerful tool in the Father's hand. I love the church. You say, what are you so excited about, preacher? Man, you're, you seem to be a little bit revved up this morning. Well, this is normal for me. If this isn't your first time, you know that. But I'll tell you why I'm fired up about the church, because Jesus is fired up about the church. In Ephesians 5.25, it says that, that Christ loves the church, and he gave himself for it. God has one plan, and that plan is the church. And then finally, the church resembles the Father. The Father. We need to look like our Father. You know, sometimes, in fact, more often than not, as I get older and my kids get older, someone will come to me and, and say something like this. You know, I was listening to Matthias, or I was talking to Josiah, and, and something like this, and they'll say, you know, I was, I was hanging out with Ezekiel, and you know what? They did something that reminded me of their dad. 
I think that's so cool. I think that's one of, the mo- one of the blessings of getting older and your kids getting older is when somebody tells you that they remind them of their father. This, my friends, is what the church should do. This is what we to do. And so there's some characteristics of the father that we find in Acts chapter 2. These are characteristics of God. And the church is to be like that. We are to resemble our father. And so what I want to do is I want to now transition into the text. One of the most exciting passages of Scripture in the entire Word of God. Acts is my favorite book in the Bible. It's an action-packed book. It's got story after story and drama after drama. And, and, and this is an amazing, amazing book in the Bible, 28 chapters. But we're in Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse number 40. So as I read the Scripture to you, let me remind you as I read it that the church at this time was on fire. I mean, they were lit. I'm trying to say it like young people say it. Man, they were lit. That's fire. They were fresh, whatever. Okay, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm getting old, but I'm trying to hang in there. So here we go. It says, and with many other words, he bore witness, verse 40, and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to the church, 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. In fact, they were selling their possessions. They were selling their belongings. They were distributing their proceeds to all as had any need. And day by day, every single day, they went to church. They attended the temple together. They broke bread in their homes. They had small groups in the evening. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number. I love it again. There it is. Verse 46, day by day. Verse 47, and day by day, those were being added to the church who were being saved. Did I lie? Was that not exciting? <laughs> Is that awesome? Oh, listen, I want to I give you a main truth and then give you some thoughts this morning as we, as we see the importance of the church and recognize this month is going to be an exciting month at Gospel Light as we dive into praying for our church and being more committed to our church. First of all, we've got to understand this. God's family, the church, has an immovable commitment to the truth. We're living in very, very troublesome times when it comes to the truth and the church. We see a falling away. And Jesus told us that would happen. And it has happened, I know, over years. And there's been generations where this has been worse. But I see today as a day, as I stand and preach this morning, in this generation, I see that falling away. And I want to stay true and faithful to the truth. And I believe our elders do as well. And I believe you do as well. That's why you're here. And so I I want to be accountable to you, my church family, today as we look at these characteristics of God the Father. First of all, notice with me, if you would, in verse 42, one little phrase, two words specifically. They were continually devoting themselves. Are you ready? Here it is. Don't miss it. To the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Now, just for a moment, uh, Don had a stand when we prayed, and I know why he did that. He did that so we would all focus, and sometimes that's a good thing to do. So I'm going to do something like that. I'm going to ask you, to up to the word teaching, say it with me at the count of three. Let's say it. Let's get focused on it. Let's, let's start really diving into this text. Here we go. You ready? One, two, three. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
I want you to pay close attention to that. Some of your translations may say the apostles' doctrine, doctrine, teaching. What is Scripture saying to us here? What were they teaching? Well, number one, they were teaching the Old Testament. From the first apostolic sermon that Peter preached in in Acts chapter 2 to the final apostolic sermon that Paul preached in Acts chapter 28, speaking of Paul in verse 23, he said this, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So all through the book of Acts, the apostles were teaching the Old Testament. That's what they were teaching. So when it talks about the apostles teaching, first of all, they were teaching the Old Testament. Second of all, they were teaching the Gospels. They were preaching and teaching about the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Matthew chapter number 28, when Jesus sent out the apostles, he said this, Go therefore, go therefore, Jesus said, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Teaching them. What were they teaching? Things that they had observed Jesus do. Teaching them how Jesus lived his life. Teaching the example of Christ. Teaching what they had seen and heard Jesus do and say. They were teaching the life of Christ. So the apostles were teaching them all the stuff that Jesus had taught them. And then finally, they were teaching the doctrine in the epistles. The letters they wrote, a large majority of the, of the New Testament were the epistles that were being written by these apostles. And they were teaching the doctrine that they were writing in those epistles. So in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, when it says they were continually teaching, uh, rather continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, when it says that, what I'm trying to say is this. Here's the bottom line. They were teaching the Bible. They were teaching the book. They were teaching God's Word. Look, over the last six months, I've probably been given 20 to 40 books to read. I mean, uh, in fact, I've been reorganizing my library to try to put things in order because, man, I, I can't read all of the books that I've been given. There are books being written by authors every year. And, and, and have you read this book? You, and not the same person, but different people, different friends. Man, this is the, a good read. And I've, I've read three of those 40 in the last six months. And I'm doing my best to get caught up. I'll never get there. But I will tell you one thing. This is the book we need to be teaching and preaching from above all other books. Amen. The God's Word, the truth of God's Word. This is what we are talking about. The apostles' teaching was the teaching of God's Word, nothing more and nothing less. And God's family has an immovable commitment to the truth that is in this book. And how did they get that truth across? Well, I think there's a lot of good ways you can get truth across. Sometimes you can have a, a little small gathering and, and have a play or put on a cantata or have a musical. Or maybe you can have a, a skit or, or a concert. I mean, there's different ways to get across the truth. And I'm not, I'm not dissing any of those ways. I think they're all admirable and noble. But the biblical way to teach the truth is the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. It's preaching. It's proclamation. This is what they did. And it's not just a preacher standing in a pulpit on Sunday morning preaching to the congregation that comes to meet. It's not just that. That's part of it. 
But, but, but thank God it's not just this 35-minute message that a man gives on Sunday morning to the local church that he preaches in. This is every conversation that you have. This is, this is every relationship that God's given you. This is a dad sitting down with his children at the supper table and opening up God's Word and preaching the truth to his family. This is a boss who has a devotion with his workers on the morning, Monday morning before they go to work that, that week and, and teaches and preaches the truth of God's Word. This is a small group leader. This is a conversation at a coffee house with a friend. This is every conversation. Every one of us, if truth be known, are to be proclamators and preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of us. Here's the biblical, just a little biblical overview for you. And just small, just a, just a little snapshot. Look with me, if you would, at Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Paul said this to the Ephesians for whom he had lived with for about two years. He said, and I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. There's so much there. I mean, when a man gets up and says, as Paul did to this church, he said, I didn't shrink. I didn't fall back. I didn't compromise preaching to you the whole counsel of God. That means proclaiming everything in the Bible. That means proclaiming the stuff that people like and the stuff that people don't like. That's what Paul meant when he said that. And then in Romans 10, 14, and how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how in the world are they to hear without someone preaching? How does someone hear the gospel without someone opening their mouth and sharing it? Church, that's the burden, that's the challenge this morning for all of us to understand that we have a responsibility to open our mouths when God gives us an opportunity, when the Holy Spirit puts it on our heart, when there's an obvious door that's been opened, open your mouth and say something about Jesus. This is our responsibility. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul, speaking of Christ, says, Him we proclaim, Him we proclaim. Jesus is who we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then 1 Peter 1, 25, But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word, well, it's the good news that was preached to you. Amen? We believe in the power of proclamation gospelite believes in the power of preaching and that includes every small group that includes every uh, parent that is teaching their children that includes every uh, one who has uh, lunch this week with someone that that needs some encouragement in the gospel across the table from someone over a cup of coffee the power is not in the ingenuity of the messenger the power is not in the cleverness of the presentation the power is in the content of the gospel you don't necessarily need a degree to do this. You don't need to be a theologian to do this. You don't need to read a bunch of books to do this. You don't need to be smart to do this. You don't need to be intelligent to do this. Listen, the gospel is not failing because of a lack of power. The gospel is failing because of a lack of presentation. And we must be good presenters of the gospel. The biblical word for that is preaching. Simple. That's the biblical word. Notice also in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. I want to focus on a word there because we're just taking that phrase and kind of breaking that phrase down. They continued, continually devoted themselves. So they continued, the King James says, steadfastly. So what is that word continue talking about? Well, I think there's two steps. There's, there's, the, there's a concept here, all right, when it says continue. 
Because we're talking about continuing to submit ourselves to the authority of God's Word. So I can tell you from experience, I've been saved now for over 40 years, I can tell you this about the word continue, that when I first got saved, it was easy. So number one, the first step is, hey, when you get saved, you start following Jesus, right? So at that moment, I am to continue. I've got, I've got baptism. <laughs> that happened. I got saved on Friday, got baptized on Sunday. After that, it was like, hey, would you like to come to a youth activity? Would you like to come to a Bible study? Hey, you're going to be at church next Sunday, right? And so you couldn't keep me away. I mean, I, I said this morning, and I know this is old school, but some of you old, old-timers are like this. Hey, I wanted to be under the spout where the glory came out. Amen? I know it's old, but it still works. I used to sit on the front row. You couldn't keep me from the front row. My mom would come to church. She'd sit about halfway to the back, and she said, Honey, you want to sit with me? I'd say, Nope, Mom, I want to sit on the front row. I did. Not many people know me back then in the room. There's about 10 that remember this, that were in the church that I got saved in. But man, I was, I was a little Roman Catholic altar boy. I got Jesus, and I was on fire. I mean, I was excited. I mean, you couldn't keep me away. My mom said, are you ever going to be home? I'm like, Mom, I just want to be around the church. They've always got something going on. And I was raised in a single-parent home, and Mom needed help anyway. So she was glad I had people to be with, and she was glad the church had stuff going on. She loved it. You couldn't keep me away. So there's this concept that it's easy at first. But I tell you, after a year and two years and five years and 10 years and 20 years, you know what I've seen? I've seen people that got saved 20, 30 years ago that they've just kind of gotten used to it. And, you know, it's not like it used to be. And there's not that fire and excitement and enthusiasm and there's not that submissive spirit to the authority of God's Word, and we tend to be more complaining, and things aren't like they were, and I wish it was different. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves in a place where we're not continuing steadfastly. We're not devoting ourselves to the teaching of God's Word like we used to. You see, what I'm saying is to continue is a very important part of teaching. you got to keep on teaching. This is submitting ourselves to the authority of God's Word. Are you doing that this morning? Let's just get real. Think about it. Are you submitting yourself this morning to God's Word? You say, what do you mean, all right? Are you submitting yourself this morning to God's Word when it comes to baptism? Have you been baptized? Well, I've been saved, but I've never been baptized. Well, Jesus says that after we're saved, we're to be baptized by submersion in our local church. And so if you've never been baptized, I would ask you, submit yourself to that. Have you submitted yourself to the authority of God's Word when it comes to a godly lifestyle? Are you in submission to what God's Word says about materialism versus tithes and offerings? I mean, is, is our lives submitted to God's Word when it comes to materialism versus laying up treasures in heaven? Are you submitted to what the Bible says about marriage, about parenting, about dating, about family? They continued. They kept on doing what the Word of God said. They grew in grace and knowledge. Number two, notice the word they continually devoted. Now, I'd like to take that word steadfast, I think, in, if I could. I, it's not in the translation I used this morning, but maybe in the one that you have. Continually devoted or they continued steadfastly. That word steadfastly is an awesome word. It means this. It's the idea, get this, of an unrelenting perseverance. I mean, this is not just, yeah, I go to church every Sunday. This is 
man, I, I am on the edge of my I can't wait to go. I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to small group that week. I'm, I'm, I want to teach the word of God. This, I am not, let, when I get a hold of the truth, I get so excited. I can't wait to tell somebody. You say, you're freaking me out, pastor. That's the reason why I'm talking about continuing steadfastly. There's no way to say that in a casual way. There's no way to say, you know, just if you feel good, do it. If you're okay with it, if you want to go, if you're having a bad day, don't worry. No, there's no way to do it any other way but this. You see, we can't connect with you, Pastor Eugene in Ukraine right now who's continuing steadfastly even unto death. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, we're already thinking, good night, maybe he should get out of the country himself. I mean, good night, he's got a wife and kids. What's he thinking? Stay with his 21-year-old son. That's cruel. What's he do? I mean, we can't imagine. I mean, if our, if our coffee's cold in the morning, that... It's like, man, I can't drink this, you know? <laughs> and, and I get it. I'm the same way. I'm failing miserably, if you want to be honest. That's why I, didn't, I don't even probably pray in that confessional prayer. Because it's only by the grace of God that I'm preaching with this much enthusiasm today. To be honest with you, there's so many times I wanted to quit and give up and turn back. And I mean, in my flesh, I am, I'm like Paul. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I should do, I don't do, I mean, I struggled just like Paul struggled. So it is by the grace of God that I'm here this morning preaching with this much enthusiasm. No credit to myself, all glory goes to Jesus. But I can tell you this today, I'm humbled by Mr. Eugene's testimony today, who is continuing steadfastly, even facing death. It's powerful. We think about that, a man by the name of Justice Martyr, and I'm not going to go into a lot of illustrations, but I just I thought it might be helpful this morning to read you about the, the Fox's Book of Martyrs. We get our very word martyr from this man, Justice Martyr, who lived in A.D. 100 to A.D. 165. Justice, uh, Justin was a Christian teacher, writer, and ultimately a martyr. He was a native of Samaria who moved to Ephesus to study philosophy in his search for truth. Justin was impressed with the character of Christians who were martyred for their faith. So one day while walking and thinking, he met an old man, a soul winner, just a random guy on the streets of Hot Springs out of nowhere. And this man challenged his thinking and shared the gospel with him. And Justin became a believer in 132 A.D. Justin viewed Christianity through the lens of philosophy. He saw Christianity as philosophy corrected and perfected, the true philosophy. He moved to Rome where he became a teacher and a writer as was the custom of that day. And since public preaching had become so dangerous, Justin held private lectures for those who would come to learn a faith in his home. He's known today for his writings. And he goes on to talk about his writings. And then it says in closing, in in, in, uh, A.D. 165, Justin and some of his followers were arrested for their faith, brought to trial with six other believers. In answer to threats of death, Justin is reported to have said, you can kill us, but you cannot hurt us as he was beheaded. And he's one of many who have suffered and died and, and, and continued steadfastly even unto death. There's a whole book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs that lists those men. Here's my point. It's not to shame any of us. I don't look to any, anybody dying for the gospel in America at this point. But I will tell you this. We must continue steadfastly in the context for which we are living. There is a, a need for Christians to, to stay, to hold fast to the truth as churches all over our country are compromising the truth. May we not be part of that group. We must have a commitment to the truth. So many things change, don't they? 
But we must not let go of the truth. Methods change. Music changes. Service time change. All that changed in our church. Isn't it crazy? I mean, we, everything has changed. Our church from 30 years ago until today is a totally different church when it comes to when we have services, how we, uh, you know, what, what our requirements are, what, how we look when we come to church, what kind of music we sing, how many, mu- I mean, there's been a lot changed. Can I tell you something that hasn't changed? The truth. The truth hasn't changed. And that's the most important thing. There's a lot that will change, but what can change is truth because Jesus is truth and Jesus doesn't change. And so let's stay true to the truth. We have a commitment to the truth. And yet we're seeing more denigration and more decline and more weakening of the truth in our generation and more compromise of the truth than in any other generation in church history. Universalism and liberalism and ecumenism, all these isms. One I read about this week, popularism. I didn't even know what it was. So I just wrote down what this theologian said in in, in this book. He said, it's a preoccupation with image and influence. It's the idea that if we are to win the world, we have to win the world's favor. And when the world finally likes the church, maybe they'll like our Savior too. The goal is to make unconverted sinners feel comfortable with the gospel. People want to come to hear a proclamation of the gospel, so maybe they'll come for what they want, entertainment. And let's for sure not mention hell. And God forbid that we say the word sin. And yet Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Church, I need to be accountable to you just as much as you need me. You need to be accountable to me. We're living in times where truth is being compromised. May gospel light take an immovable stand when it comes to the truth of God's word. And I want to just close with just a few thoughts. For a moment, I would like for you to consider personally your commitment to Gospelites Church family. I really believe this is important. I'm going to share my heart with you on two different levels. The first level is a pastor as a member of the church, and the second level is just as a believer, just as a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. So number one, as a member of Gospelite, I want to test my commitment to the truth as a member of this church. I want you to do the same. So first of all, let's ask ourselves three questions as we consider this. Number one, if I stumble spiritually, are there people here that will confront me? Because I'm going to tell you, if we're going to be committed to the truth, this is what's needed now more than ever. Yes, there's a falling away, but I'm not so sure that some of that is as a result of Christians in churches not loving each other enough to confront one another with the truth. I know of a pastor that today is in jail and, and, and for awful things that he did. When it first happened, I remember one of the associate pastors called me to kind of, didn't want me to hear about it through the grapevine. Hey, I just want you to know this is what happened. My pastor went to jail today because of this, this, and this. And I, was, I was, you know, just stunned. And I said, first words out of my mouth were, man, did you guys know about any of this? Did you... Did anybody know anything? Oh, yeah. Oh, we knew. I mean, we saw stuff. We, oh, yeah, we knew. We, we saw a lot. 
And you never said it. No, well, you know, he's the pastor. You can't, you can't really say anything. You know, I'm not so sure that there's not guilt on both sides of that coin. I'm convinced that we need to be willing to love one another enough to confront one another with the truth. Amen. I mean, this is not popular. Sure, it isn't popular because we just want to sit soaking sour and, and just kind of come and do our thing. I mean, God forbid that anybody care enough about us to, to, to come to us and confront us with truth. But this is what we read in the Gospels. This is what they did. They were not afraid to confront one another. They had healthy churches because of it. Secondly, if I'm overwhelmed with sorrow, are there people here that will bring the Word of God to me in a comforting way? And this is what the church does. When people are hurting, you know, listen, can I share this? And I know, I know that I was talking to someone yesterday who had a cousin who committed suicide. And they came to me in tears and, and, uh, and said, listen, Pastor, my, my cousin committed suicide. My grandfather's on his deathbed. And it was one other thing. It was really heavy. And they said, listen, I just, I just need prayers. And I said, listen, I'm going to pray. I said, I'd like to put in our prayer. Oh, no, no, don't do that. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want. I said, no, no. You need this. You need your church. You need people to come alongside. It's okay. I'm not talking about a bombardment. I'm not going to show up at your house with 100 people and surround your house with prayer. And, and, and we're just talking about letting folks know that you're hurting so they can come alongside you and pray for you. And they finally agreed to do that as they wept and said, you're right, you're right, you're right. I just got so much pride. I don't want anybody to know my business. And I'm like, no, that's what we do. We love one another. Why do you think I publicly mentioned Mark and Debbie Smith uh, yesterday, uh, last week, Adams? I called them and said, listen, are you okay? And they said, listen, we need prayer. We're hurting. After we prayed, Mark went to the hospital for four days. It was awful. He was sick unto death, got out of the hospital, rejoicingly praised the Lord. He's at home this morning. But we, we made emphasis to that last week. Why? Because there's a family in our church that needs comfort. And what we do is we come alongside people who are hurting, and we love them, and we pray for them. I mean, right there, that's how prayer can change in our churches. When you hear someone's hurting, just say, can we pray right now? Can we just pray right now? I might forget, but I know I won't forget right now. Let's pray right now. This is the church. We come alongside one another. We care enough to pray with one another. And then thirdly, Am I getting truth here to build my family into a rock-solid family? Answer that for your family right now. Think about it. Because I mean this from my heart, and I say it in a, in a truthful way because I feel this way about my family. If I could not come to a church and hear rock-solid truth that is building my family, then I would, I would find another church. And I would say that about another church. If somebody came to me, I would say, listen, are, you, are, are you, your family growing? Are you feeling as if you're getting rock-solid truth from the pulpit, from the small group, from the teachers of that church, because that's more, more important than fellowship, which we'll talk about next week, which is awesome. More important than a lot of th- the most. The reason why I'm starting with this is because this is the most important thing. This is more important than nice nurseries and clean children buildings and, and, and perfect air conditioner. The most important thing is the truth, the proclamation of the truth. If we are, we aren't, we aren't. But if we were the only town in church preaching the truth, and we're not, there's, there's dozens of churches preaching the truth. But if we were the only one and all we had was a tent and a parking lot, you should be there. I want to be where the truth is. That's most important. And then finally, is gospel-like committed to the truth? Am I committed to the truth? Personally, what priority does God's word hold in my personal schedule? Am I continually Am I steadfastly spending time 
studying the Word of God. It's powerful. Man, since I've been preparing these messages, I have been going, spending more time in God's Word. Partly because I've been convicted. You know, when you, when you, have, when you start realizing what you're about to preach, you're like, man, I need, to, I need to live this a little better. Is that okay to be that honest with you? you know, I need to do a little better at this. I mean, I'm about to get up and preach this, and I don't know. So I've been doubling up on my study and spending a little more time and a little less time doing other things and waking up a little earlier. And, and just, Why? Because I know, I know it's so easy for me to be distracted. I think recently it was someone preached in our church uh, during the series on family and talked about distractions and the phone distracts us. I think it was Kevin, actually. I, I listened to it online. It was great. And it, it is difficult sometimes to stay focused because we have so many things to distract us. But if we're going to continue steadfastly in God's Word, we have to ask ourselves this question. What priority does God's Word hold in my personal schedule? Number two, when I hear a conversation contradict the Bible, how do I respond? Now, wait a minute. Make sure it's in the Bible because we used to fight over a lot of things that weren't even in the Bible. We would respond to things that were just our opinions, our preferences, what we think. We had no verses, and the verses we had were lame, right? I mean, some, some old-timers, you, you, amen on that one? And now we're focused not on the obvious biblical themes, the obvious biblical themes, those things that are very important, things that could creep into the church and hurt the church, teachings that could lead the church astray or lead sheep astray, those things. We need to be faithful and committed when we hear a conversation that contradicts the book, respond to it in love. Number three, am I letting my brothers and sisters hold me to the Scriptures? Am I letting them hold me to the Scriptures? Good exhortation, good conversation. I like having these conversations, but I want to have them more with just the average layman in the church. We have them as staff a lot. We have them as elders sometimes. We have them, in, you know, as Bible college, you know, staff. But we need to have it more with just the average teenager, college student, layperson. Let's just go out and have coffee and talk about our devotions that morning. Amen. You say, this just sounds kind of spooky. Why does it have to sound spooky that we're believers, followers of Jesus Christ, living in a very troublesome day, and we're talking about the Bible that is being fulfilled before our very eyes. It's amazing. This book is exciting. And we should be willing as brothers and sisters to hold one another to the Scriptures by having healthy conversations over what God is showing us. And then number four, am I promoting this book among the people I love? Am I promoting this book at home? Am I, am I promoting this book at home? Am I telling my kids, Kids, there is no more book more important than God's Word. Chloe and I drove back together yesterday from Joplin, Missouri. We had a talk, man. It was going deep, and we were talking about, we always go back to Scripture, go back to Scripture, go back to Scripture, because there's things that confuse young people. Even my, my daughter, who loves the Lord, but there, man, listen, I get it. This, these are crazy times, and you've got thoughts. Will I get married? Will I have a future? Will I have a job? Will I? And I get it. And so there's questions, but I'm glad we can work it out and talk it out and have conversations about it and at the end pray together and say, you know what, this is going to be okay because this book tells us at the end we win and God's in control. Amen? We are God's family. We are God's family. He is our dad. He's our Abba Father. And if we want to be like him, he is truth, you know. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to have an immovable commitment to the truth. So let me challenge you by God's grace.
to not only be a Bible reader, but to be a Bible obeyer. Not just a Bible believer, but a Bible reader and a Bible obeyer. God's Word for the last 30 years has built this church. And I can assure you, it will build your life. It'll build your life. Nothing like the Bible will build your life. This morning, if you've come to the services and you would say, you know, I, I, I just, wow, I, I heard you talk about that moment that you received Christ and, and started following Christ. I really think that's where I'm at, Pastor. I, I need to do that. That's, before I can continue following, I need to start following. And that's you. I would like to invite you to come to Christ this morning. I mean, there may be somebody that is, that is so led to do that that you would want to come in the invitation. You'd actually want to come and take the hands of one of the elders up front and just say, hey, I, I'd like to follow Christ. That'd be awesome. Maybe someone else would say I'd be more comfortable talking about it after the service or setting, setting up an appointment with the pastor this week. That's great, too. Whatever you're comfortable with. I just want to make sure you know that we're here if you'd like to receive Christ even right now. Maybe you've already received Christ and really continuing for you is just, I need to get back to that devotion. I need to get back to that steadfast commitment to the truth. I need to get back in a small group. I need to get back to my devotions. I need to get back to, you know, listening to, to more of the Word of God on my I pad or i podcast or whatever i just need to do more to increase my my love for the truth if that's you then this response is for you to take a time take time to respond at the altar or respond in your seat i love the fact that our altars are open still at gospel i love it i love i just think it's it's good that we still give you an opportunity to come forward and take a moment to pray and it's not weird it's not odd it doesn't feel strange if you need to stand you can stand if you want to kneel, you can kneel, whatever you're comfortable with, but the altars are open. Here's my question. Do you have an immovable commitment to the truth? And before you answer a resounding yes, remember that confession prayer we prayed. We've already admitted that we fail, we struggle, and it's only by the grace of God that we can do these things. So maybe this morning it's best for us not to come from a place of pride and arrogance, from a, from a place of humility, recognizing that Man, I I need to increase my steadfastness for the truth. I'd like to pray over you right now. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach this morning. I love our church. I love it. And for 30 years, I've been standing in this pulpit, not this exact pulpit, but one like it, and preaching, not on this exact corner, but one like it in this neighborhood, the truth. Lord, there's been times where I've wavered, where I've not been as passionate as I was this morning. And for that, God, I, I've confessed that sin to you during our worship time. God, that I failed, that I've not been everything that I could be. But God, this morning, I recommit. I recommit as pastor of this church to be accountable to this congregation, to our elders, to other believers, to walk in truth. Father, help me to be willing God, to confront my family and for them to confront me when there is a concern. God, may we be not just Bible believers, but Bible readers and Bible obeyers. May this world build, may this word build our lives. Thank you, Jesus. If anyone here today 
under the sound of my voice, needs to come to Christ and become a Christian this morning. God, give them, Lord, give them the strength to come. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.